Okay, good evening. We're continuing our series, the Talmud series. We're getting very close to the end. Should be a few more lectures and it's over. Uh, we're still in Masechet Sanhedrin. Hopefully we'll be able to finish it and uh, go on with that. Uh, we have this famous Gemara. Last, uh, last week, before Shoshana, two weeks ago, uh, we spoke about uh, the Chachamim who followed the camel and they were able to know that he's blind in one eye. And also Hashem said to the nation of Israel, how much I had mercy on you that I wasn't angry in the days of Bilam because Bilam was able to curse exactly in the right minute. And uh, this is where we ended up. Now, so Bezrat Hashem, we continue now. The Gemara says, A person always has to force himself to learn Torah, has to force himself to learn Torah, even not for the sake of heaven. Even if he's not interested, it's hard for him, he's tired, his wife is upset, you know, there's a lot of reason, enough reason not to focus on the Torah. And you say, You know what, today I won't skip it. Maybe I'm getting married, maybe my future wife doesn't like me to learn Torah. Maybe, you know, uh, I'm going on a date. All kinds of excuses people have never to learn Torah because the, the Satan is a genius. He's always going to find you a reason. He's going to find you a reason not to learn. So even if you learn not for the sake of heaven, even if you learn not for the sake of heaven, mitoch shelo lishma ba lishma. You know, so basically... Even if, when you started to learn, once you starting, eventually it becomes for the sake of heaven. And uh, then there's this famous Gemara that everybody speaks about, that Paro had three advisors. Before Paro killed all the Jewish babies, he was asking uh, Bilam, Eov, and Itro their opinion if he should kill the kids or no, the babies. And of course, the famous thing, Bilam said to him, uh, yeah, kill them, of course, they are the enemies, you should kill them. So they killed him with a sword, measure for measure. Eov, that was quiet, he didn't say kill them, but he was afraid to say, no, no, don't kill them, so he didn't say anything. He suffered for so many years, his children died, he got sick, he lost all his money, he had horrible tests in his life, and he ran away. When a person sometimes is in a situation that he knows that now they're going to ask him and he's afraid to answer or he doesn't know what to say, what's the best solution? You run. Hey, hey, come, we have a question to ask you. I'm sorry, I have an emergency. I have to run. I have an emergency. I have to run. You understand? And uh, like this, you get saved. Tomorrow when they see you, hey, why didn't you wait? Of course I don't wait. Whatever I'm going to say, I'm going to lose, right? I say kill them. You know, I have problems with Hashem. I say, don't kill them, I have problems with you. I better off run. So Yitro that ran had the merit that his daughter married Moshe Rabbeinu. What a reward he got. His daughter married the most important, the most important person in the whole generation. The most important person in history. His daughter married. Why? Because he didn't say, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't a Jew, Bichlal. He was the master of the idols worshipping. So it's like asking the Pope today, right? Uh, tell me there's an opportunity to get rid of the Jews. Should we kill them? If you say yes, we kill them. What do you vote? You say yes or no? 
And he said, what did he say? He said, no, don't kill them. You know, in his case, he ran away. So obviously he knew what he's thinking about. So thanks to that, he got the, that his children is, Baruch Hashem, they're all Jewish and they sit in Lishkat Gazit in Sanhedrin. This is this Gemara. Now the Gemara continues. In the generation of David Amelech was Doeg Edomi. It says, Lo Gibor Batorata, you're not a hero in Torah. Mati Talel Bara'a. You know, Lo Chesed El Natui Alecha Kolayom. Hashem is asking him all these questions. He's supposed to be an important person, no? And this is what Hashem told him. You know, Doeg was speaking Lashonara. Hashem came to him and said, you're giving lectures in Torah. So from here we learn that someone that is a wicked person, how do you dare to come and give lectures, tell people what to do when you yourself are very corrupted? You're corrupted, you're not righteous, you're not doing tshuva, you're not anything. And all of a sudden you come and give them lectures what to do, what not to do. And this is where Hashem said to him, What's the difference when it says Elohim or when it says Hashem? What's the difference? If it says Yud, Hei, Vav, and Hei, that's the mercy of Hashem. If it says Elohim, that's the judgment. That means Hashem is with his anger. And he said to him, It's the judgment. Who, who nominates you to, te, to teach my Torah, my laws? You know, when you come, when you come to learn about murderers in my Torah, how exactly are you going to present it? How? Right? You are a murderer. You are speaking Lashonara. It's worse than a murder. You take a person, you ruin his reputation. You know, it will take him 20 years, if ever he's going to be able to correct his reputation, to fix it. Sometimes it's a, it's a dead case already. That's it. You understand? So he says, Vatisa briti ale picha. You dare to say my covenant on your lips, on these filthy lips that all day speaking Lashonara, speaking gossip, hurting people. The same mouth who murder people wants to teach people my Torah. This doesn't apply to him. It applies to each one of us. You come, you sit in a Shabbat table, you want to teach Torah, not necessarily to your children. You have guests, neighbors. You come, you teach, you bring people that are not religious, you try to make them close to Hashem, and in the end, Hashem really thinking, I say to look at this guy. Before he fix himself, he try to fix others. You understand? And Rabbi Ami conclude, Rabbi Ami say, this Doeg knew a lot of Torah, but his Torah was only from the lips outside. It didn't start in the heart. It was only from here outside, which means faker, faker. Unfortunately, today the world is full of fakers, full. And this is it. Now, Amar Abiyami, before Doeg died, he already forgot all his Torah. One of the ways to know that a person wasn't learning Torah for the real truth is close to the end of his life if he forgets it or not. I'll give you an example. I know a person that had Alzheimer. Alzheimer. Which means every two minutes he asked me, do I know you? What's your name? I told him a hundred times already. But two minutes later he doesn't remember. It looks like for him 
like he sits and eats. He says, I'm hungry, where is my dinner? He just ate. He doesn't understand what's going on, you know? So when he was young, he was learning in yeshiva, a lot of Torah, and then his grandson, is my wife's cousin, his grandson, came and started asking something from the Gemara that he learned 60 years ago. What, just talk to him two minutes ago, he doesn't remember that he spoke to you. That, now he doesn't remember your name. He doesn't remember he spoke to you two minutes ago. Do I know you from anywhere? He said. And he asked him a question in a Gemara in Baba Metziah or something. He started to say the whole page of Gemara by heart. How can it be? I couldn't believe this. How can it be? It's just uh, something in the brain, obviously. But even when he ha had Alzheimer, he still remembered his Torah. Very interesting. That's what the Gemara says. If you forget your Torah, that means either you were filthy when you learn, or the money that helped you to learn was all stolen, or you did it for, because you wanted a job, you wanted uh, to make money, you wanted honor and pride and to control people. You had your reasons. There's no blessing in it. No blessing. Just it's like learning history. One day you forget you learned for college to pass the exam. Two days after you got your degree, do you remember what you learned the last four years in college in history? Not one thing you remember. You remember anything? Nothing. Four, five, seven years, you don't remember. Not supposed to remember most of it, but anyway. So Ravami saying, died only after he forgot everything he learned. Three bad angels came to him. One made him forget his Talmud. One made him forget his learning. One burned his soul. And the third one took the ashes of him and put it all over the synagogues and the yeshivot of that generation. What an end to a person who learned so many years Torah. There was another one, Achitofel, also in the time of David Amelech, that he is the one who gave David Amelech the advice to write the name of Hashem and throw it into the water. When there was a flood, when David Amelech wanted to prepare the, the, the foundation of Bet HaMikdash. He couldn't build it, so he wanted to prepare the foundation to make the hole for them to start building it. And there was a big rock there, and the shepherds told him, don't touch this rock, it's spring water. You move this rock, all Jerusalem will be flooded. Couldn't stop the, the water, it's all gonna come up. He said, well, how can it be such a thing? He moved it anyway, and the water started to come out, and it's floating all over. And he's saying, anyone knows if I'm allowed to throw the name of Hashem into the water, the name of Hashem will be erased, but automatically it will bring all the water down. But you're allowed to erase the name of Hashem? We're not allowed. You cannot erase the name of Hashem if you wrote it. And he knew the answer, this Achitofel, but he didn't want to say, because he wanted people to get angry at King David that he should be instead of him. It's all uh, calculated. Politicians is not only today. Politics was always around. In the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, there's no politics. Korach and 250 people come to demonstrate against Moshe. There, were, there was always had these things, left and right, uh, the Republicans, the Democrats, the same lady with a different dress, same thing. Just have different names. So it says in the end, it says to him, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, 
they doeg and Achitofel died in half of their ears. They should have lived double, but Hashem cut their ears, right? And where do, where do, where do we see it in Tehillim in Psalms 55? Anshei damim ve'mirma u'mirma lo yechetzu yemehem. People with bloods in their hands and uh, and uh, well uh, deceiving or crooks when they cheat, cheating, right? Lots of cheatings will not cross half of their age. They'll die exactly in half of their life. The Mashiach arrived. So Bezrat Hashem, you know, we should learn from this a lot. Some sins, it's easy to correct. Some sins you don't want to make because if you make it, it will be impossible to correct. What is it? Lajonara. And most people are, are falling in this trap of Lashonara daily, hourly. And if it's not Lashonara, it's Avak Lashonara. You know what's Avak Lashonara? Avak means dust. You have the actual thing or you have some dust of it, which is, it's the same thing really, but just a little bit less, which Avak Lashonara means somebody asks you about somebody and you... You go like this, you make a face. Oh, I don't want to talk about him. He got the point. You don't say, oh, he's bad, he's Russia, he's this. Oh, him, uh, let's not talk about him, do me a favor. That's enough, he got the point. You don't need to say that much, right? Okay, so. Uh, can you lie say you don't Yeah, not, not can, you must. If that's the only way out, the, the Gemara says, Lamed Leshoncha Lomar, any Odea. Teach your mouth to say, I don't know. Where is your father? I don't know. What is your father doing for a living? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You his son, you don't know what your father said? I don't know. Where are your mother right now? Where did she go at, at 10 o'clock at night? What are you going to tell him? To the mikveh? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? She didn't tell you where she's going? She told you, but you don't have to tell him. No, I don't know. When your father came back from Israel? I don't know. What kind of car your father ordered? I don't know. Where is his working? I don't know. Is your father home? I don't know. Can you go and check? I'm sorry, I'm busy. What is it your business? Starting to investigate. Same thing you. Somebody asks you, hey, tell me, do you know about this guy? No, I don't know. Why, well, you know where he's heading to? No, I really don't know. Did you hear about that story that happened? Not really. Let me tell you, no, no, I'm very busy, I'm sorry. Next time, I'm in a rush. You got to be clever. You have to be clever. If you're not clever, you pay the price. Listen to this Gemara. It's shocking. David Amelech say, let me worship the stars. <laughs> How can it be? What's the secret here? And here comes Hushai Arki. It's another person. His clothing is ripped and sand on his head. He took sent from the ground, put on his head. He's mourning, he's, he's crying. Amar lo le David, he say, your majesty, David, a king like you, such an important person will worship the stars. He say to him, a king like me will be killed by son. This is better. What's the point? He wanted to show them that since now he's going to be punished, right? And his son is after him, he wants to kill him. He has to run away from his palace. 
and everyone's going to start st- speaking because people usually their head is empty. So when they see a righteous person begin to suffer, somebody will already tell everyone why. Oh, you know why this rabbi has this? Five years ago he did this and this and that, and now that's, the re- that's what happened in Israel a month ago. There was a person in Bnei Brak, he owned a vegetable store, and uh, he had an argument with his neighbor. Two stores, they're arguing. He wanted to buy the neighbor out. The neighbor didn't want to uh, uh, give him the, the space. He told him, what do you care? A business like you, you can open everywhere. But I already have very busy store, and I need to expand. Let me, get, let me take the store. I'll pay you, whatever. And they've been arguing. No, yes, no, I don't have room to put the vegetables. I need the extra space. And in the end, the, one of them, call, the neighbor called him to Beidin, to court, to Jewish court to complain that he's harassing him. He wants him out of the store and he doesn't want to leave, to tell him to, to stop bothering him. And the rumor, of course, that people made on the street, and he ended up in a religious newspaper, that the Beidin called him three times. Which Beidin? The most important Beidin of Nebrak, of Rav Wozner, one of the Gdoleador. He called him to the Beidin once, twice, and then he, well, since he refused to come, so the Beidin say, well, if he doesn't want to come to Beidin Shelmata, if he doesn't want to come to the court here, he will have to go to the court there. And a few hours later, he died. That's the rumor on the street. This is the biggest embarrassment to his family. Think about it, the widow, the kids, everyone now in Bnei Brak talking, oh, you know what, the, the owner of the vegetable stores, you know why he died? Rav Ozner sent him an invitation to come to the Beidin, he refused to come, and Rav Ozner say, you don't want to come to Bedin Shalmata, you come to Bedin Shalmala. After everyone talks Lashon about this family and murdering them one after the other, Rav Ozner himself published an announcement, it's all a lie. <laughs> we don't know any, anything from this story. I never invited him and I never say anything against him. We don't know who made up this rumor. Now imagine the punishment of the person who made that rumor. How much he's going to have to pay for each one who talked after him, he has to pay. And the one who heard and started to talk, he has to pay for him. And the other one, and the other. Probably there are people who still, who still did not read the denial message. They continue to publish the rumor. Some people already saying, no, it was all a lie. Of course, the newspaper never apologized. They already make, they sold enough uh, enough newspapers, and everyone is happy, but when they come over there, they're going to pay the price. So David Amelech say, well, after what happened between me and Batsheva, that Hashem had to send me the prophet Nathan, even though I never made a sin. She was my shiduch to begin with, and she got a get from Uriachiti, and I took her only after she had the get. But look how people talk against me, like I went with a married wife. So, you know, what's going on here? Now Hashem sending him this Afshalom, his wicked son. His wicked son go after his father. Horrible things. Imagine your son goes against you, fight against you with stranger, looking for you in caves. It's the most horrible thing you can think of. Sometimes it's better an Arab will blow you to pieces than to see that your own son is searching for you to, 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 to catch you and you have to run and you're the king. So what did he want? He wanted to worship the idols for people to say, oh, he deserved the suffering. Even now he's thinking about the honor of Hashem. What people are going to say on Hashem? 
What are they going to say? That there's no justice. Where is Hashem? What, this such righteous person like King David will end up in such punishment? Let me make a public sin that everyone will see that I'm a big sinner for the sake of heaven. That now when I get the punishments that Hashem is sending me, they all say, oh, they deserve it. You worship the idols. What can be worse than this, no? You understand what's going on here? Of course not. So this is why he came to him and said to him, such a respectable king like you wants to worship an idol. So he said to him, it's better that now my son is going to kill me and everyone will talk forever. What happened to this righteous person that he ended up getting killed by his own wicked son? Could it, could it be a bigger embarrassment? Let me worship the idols that the people say he deserved to be killed by his son. It's good that his son killed him because he's an idol worshiper. So Hushai told him, making Chilul Hashem is worse. Worse. You're going to worship the idols that hour that everyone would see that you supposedly worship an idol. You're the righteous person and all of a sudden you became an idol worshiper. There is no repentance to such a thing. People would talk, not talk. Hashem is righteous, Hashem is right, Hashem is wrong. Whatever the people say, where is the justice? We hear it all the time. How come it happened to this one? How come such a thing? Where was Hashem? Where was Hashem in the Holocaust? These questions will never end. It's better they ask millions of questions that you will create Chilul Hashem even for one hour. So he told him, don't do it. It's, it's, a, it's a mistake. It's not a correct thing to do. And then the Gemara continue. The Gemara says someone who married a Goya in a war, he goes to a war and he found a beautiful Gentile, not, pretty, not Jewish, but very pretty woman, and he's now in a war, could be weeks, could be months, and he has a strong desire for this Goya. So he takes this Goya. There's a whole list of things that he has to do. He has to make her look bad, their nails is growing, she wear horrible clothes, maybe it will relax his evil inclination, it will relax his Yetzer Hara. For something you can see the most beautiful woman, and if you know one thing about her, right away you cannot look at her. For instance, I know many people, they can see a very pretty woman and they have strong desire for her, as soon as she take a cigarette out and put it in her mouth, they want to vomit, can't look at her anymore. Doesn't matter how pretty she is, she see a woman smoke, they don't want to even look near her. I mean, that is not even the smell, just the actual scene that a woman is smoking. Many people that I know will not be able to look at her anymore. So here you go. So the fact that somebody gave her a cigarette saying the Jew for making a scene. This is just an example. But here we are talking about after a month period that she went through all that and she looked horrible, she shaved her head, all these things, supposed to be disgusted by her. If you still have this desire, so you convert her and you have permission to have relation with her. This is what the Torah say. Why? Because if you're not going to be permitted, you're going to do it anyway. This is the only time in the entire Torah, to the best of my knowledge, you never find it anywhere else, that the Torah supposedly surrendered to the desire of the low-life human being person that cannot control his desire like a dog, comes the Torah and go very low. 
Okay, listen, let's, let's cooperate with you. We know you're a loser. No. <laughs> so we'll allow it. Like they say today, allow uh, smoking grass. Allow it. Anyway, everyone doing it. The system can never stop it. Everyone is, cannot live without it. Yeah, what's the big deal? It's like cigarettes. Just allow it, and you save a lot of headache, police, arrest, courts, wasting of time and money. Just make it legal and finish. What's going to be the next thing? Okay, now after five, ten years, make cocaine also legal. Well, make it legal. People want to get killed. Let them get killed. Why, why should the police go and, and, and the borders and fighting and all kinds of gangs? And look what's happening in Mexico. Every week they kill 80 people, 60 people. All these gangs are finding who's going to control the, the drug market. Make it legal, they'll be out of business. You'll buy it in 7-Eleven, 25 cents. What is it, this white powder? Supposedly it's made from flowers, big deal. It's not going to be expensive. The actual ingredients is very cheap. What makes it expensive is because it's against the law. So make it legal, so a few million people would die extra every year. But we're not going to have all these police things. There's a point here. There's a point here. Sometimes when it's going to be legal, maybe the kids won't run after it like crazy. Because the nature of the people, when something is forbidden, they have stronger desire for it. When it's all over, you're not excited anymore. This is why the secular people have less desire for pritzut than religious people. A, a, a non-religious person that see a not modest woman on the street, yeah, he has some desire to her, but it's just about it, and he can he move on with his life. A religious person, if he will fail and look at her, he will have much stronger desire. Why? Because he lived kosher life. The Yetzirah is sitting on him very strong. The other one is used to it. He see a million like this a week. He see once a week, he fail once a week, it doesn't leave him alone. This guy, you think he's excited? He see watch wars and he see it non-stop and his eyes are deep in the dirt. So you know if he's, if you live in the bathroom, you're not uh, you're not disgusted from the smell. You're there all the time. Somebody who comes in just once a week for a minute, he he dies inside. It's affecting him a lot. Someone is all his life in the bathroom. No, what what do you expect from him? He's used to it all his life. He see he looks he see dirty movies. He make all the scenes that you can imagine. Now he see a not modest woman in the street. That's going to change his life? Nah, he's not even excited. But somebody that all his life was working against his Yetzirah, it's a, horrible, uh, it's a horrible experience for him. Right away, it's affecting his life. So anyway, the Torah say like this. OK, we surrender to you. You want to convert her and marry her? Fine, but you should know one thing. Every sin has a punishment. Even if it became permitted forcefully with your desire, you're forcing Hashem. Hashem doesn't want you to make a sin that he has to kill you in the middle of the war, and then the other soldiers getting discouraged and run away when they see people are dying from their sins. Because people are dying in a war because of their sins, not because the enemy is strong. You understand? The only reason the Arab all of a sudden became sophisticated and strong and they have rockets and missiles and now they're going to have a land and all these and thousands and thousands of missiles and all that, it's because the Jews went down on a spiritual level. When the Jews were high 40, 50 years ago, almost everyone was traditional, Shomer Shabbat, holidays, not, none of the dirt that you have today. Who knows what drugs is 40 years ago? 
I once told you, when I was a kid in eighth grade, one kid in my high school started to smoke cigarette, and the entire city that I lived in, it's not a holy city, it's not Yerushalayim or Bnei Brak, it's right by the beach, the entire city were shocked for weeks that there is a guy in eighth grade, 13 years old, smoking cigarettes. The teacher were afraid to, near, to stand near him. When he took the ball and wanted to play soccer, everyone was running away. Every parent instructed his kids, be careful not to talk to the, next to this guy. <laughs> Imagine today, almost every one of these 13 years old have drugs, who know what's in their pocket, knives, guns. They have metal detector in schools. Nobody ever believed that we get to, in one generation to such horrible lifestyle. But this is it. So, so okay, so you want to make the scene? Make the scene, but you should know one thing, that you're going to have a son that will destroy you from this Goya. Ben Sorer Umore, a son, criminal boy who rebelled against the parents and the Bedin has to execute him now when he's young before he become a massive terrorist. So the Torah says his father and mother has to take him to the rabbis to examine him. If he's a Ben Sorer Umore, they better die young than become a monster that make everyone horrified. When, why it comes right after a, a pretty Goya in a war, it comes right after that in the Torah. Every time two subjects are near, one near each other in the Torah, they're related. It's no coincidence. If you ended up surrendering to the beauty of the women, especially this Goya in a war, what's going to end it up? Your children will drink your blood for breakfast with a straw. That's what's going to happen to you. You understand? That's what's going to be. And this is what the Gemara says, in case you didn't understand it from the Torah. The Gemara says, right next to it, beautiful Goya. And right after that, if you have a boy who rebel against you and destroy you, why? Because this, this would lead you to this. You should remember that. Everyone who ended up marrying this beautiful Goya ended up with Ben Sorer Umore. Now, Ben Sorer Umore, today we don't execute them. First of all, if we had a way to execute them today, I don't know if any kids would left. Maybe one out of a thousand, will be, the school would be empty. You're going to have to pay a lot of tuition. Mr. X, yes, last year your tuition was only $12,000. Now, I'm sorry, we are forced to raise it to $28,000. $28,000 for one boy? Yeah, well, we don't have that many kids in the school. Who's going to pay the teachers? Who's going to pay the rent, the facility, this, that? <laughs> you might as well hire a Rebbe to sleep in your house in a basement and teach your kids around the clock. It will be cheaper than sending to yeshiva today. Why is it? Because... According to the way the kids behave, the chutzpah, beating up their parents, don't listen to them, hanging up on them, all kinds of things. Every week, the police, Mr. X, please come release your son on bail. What did he do now? Keep him over there. Some, some police already, they see the kids here on Queens Boulevard, they don't arrest them anymore. They pretend they don't see them. Why? They're tired. They arrested them already 10 times, each one of these boys. Their parents don't care anymore. The parents do whatever you want with him. Keep him over there in jail. Keep him in jail two or three weeks. It's better he'll be in jail than be on the street. Peace of mind for me. 
Nobody wake me up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at, at night. Nobody, nobody makes my life miserable. So what's the problem? Keep him in jail. So the police knew that his father doesn't care anymore. So they pretend they don't see. You understand why? It's too much work for them. They have to go fill up the paperwork, this, fingerprints, that. Say, so you know what? Let's pretend we don't see. That's what's happening today. Anyway, we move on. The Gemara continues. Tanura banan leolam tehe small docha v'yamin mekarevet. When you raise your children, you have two hands. One hand is you tough with. One hand you very very merciful and it's full of love. Which means with the right hand you pull your son to you. You give him a hug. You give him a kiss. You give him money. Whatever will make him happy. And the left one. You have to be tough with him. If he needs a smack sometimes, he gets a smack. If he needs to take away something that you gave him, you put him in a room, you give him a punishment, fine. In our generation, the truth is that you should almost cut your left hand. Just use the right hand. Why? Because the kids are so rebellious that no punishment will make them better. Up to a generation ago, 30, our parents, our grandparents, they didn't, they didn't need to get a smack. The father just gave them a look. It's enough for two months. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm sorry, please forgive me, Abba. No problem, come, he kisses his father's hand, and it's over. The father comes home, everyone rise. The father comes and how come nobody milked the cows today? Oh, we're very sorry, forgive us, everyone run. That's how it was. How come there's no water? Okay, let me run to the well, bring water. That's how the world was. Today, the more kids you have, the more bosses you have in your house. You come home, your daughter, how come you late? Didn't I tell you I need the car at 8 o'clock today? No, I'm taking the car. What do you, what's wrong with you? But I have only one car. Fighting, screaming, cursing. No, I have the key. Give her the key. No, I'm not giving her the key. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'll call 911. <laughs> what's going to happen? You give him a smack, he'll kill you. If he's not so violent, the boy, he's not that bad. So he's going to speak bad to you. So what are you, what are you going to achieve? There's really no way. So you got to give them so much love until you reach the point that they'll be embarrassed to be ungrateful. And sometimes even this will not help. So all you have to do, you lock yourself in a room and, and cry, save me for my children, Hashem, please. You understand? In a good religious family, usually you don't have it. You have it with kids that are exposed to television. All day they see dirt, they see lack of modesty, they see lying, deceiving, cheating, gossip, violence, drugs, gunshots. What do you expect? You make him a monster. It's a system. He was a little innocent baby. He begins with violent cartoon. Right? Papa hit uh, the other one, on. The, he drinks his spinach, whatever, and he give him a smack. They're fighting for the girl. So he, whoever is going to give bigger punches will win the girl. This is the education you give your little baby. And you say, ah, it's cartoon. What's the big deal, Rabbi? Don't be fanatic. And this is a little kid, and he, has, he makes a big impact on them. If you don't believe me, take a Jewish cartoon. Jewish cartoon. Like Rashi, they make a cartoon about the life of Rashi. Or says that the Goim come to, to burn the synagogue, exactly how it was 900 years in France. And Rashi is riding, they show he is riding with a feather. 
show him we're sitting with his tefillin, and he sends a letter to another rabbi. It's, it's a beautiful story. What happened after the kids finished seeing it? Half of the things in your house disappeared. Where is my uh, umbrella? It became a sword. Where is the other umbrella? It became a spear. Where is the, the cover of the garbage can? It became a protection. You know how they come? One hand umbrella, the other hand is uh, all day runs. Now he's looking for horse, so now he's breaking your chairs. You just bought it. The influence that this movie's had on them, there's no words to describe it. So it starts like this. Then they become addiction to see pictures and, and music and voice. It's very, it's like drugs. Next thing is Hollywood movies, and then this, and this, that, and that's it. And now you want them, come, come, son, let's learn Gemara together. I'm busy now. Uh, not now, tomorrow, I promise, tomorrow. This tomorrow sometimes takes 20 years until he married the Goya. You understand? It starts with these things. So it says like this, a hand, right hand, is giving them lots of love and attention. The, right, the left hand is strict. Why? If you only give them everything they want, they don't appreciate anything. It's going to make it worse. So you got to have discipline, but you got to be very careful. Today, it's never been proven in this generation that hitting the kids, giving them smack, all kinds of horrible punishment, that it's helping. 99% of the time, it makes the situation much worse. He begins to hate his father, then he hates Shabbat. He's trying to be rude on Shabbat, because in front of the guest, he's hoping that his father will be embarrassed to give him a punishment. Everyone is looking. And the father said, no, I'm not going to surrender to this game. So he gives him a punishment anyway. Then the boy begins to scream, I hate Shabbat. Every Shabbat is like this. And from here, the way out is very close. This is it. So what's the solution? Crying to Hashem. Crying to Hashem, the more you cry, the more mercy you have. And maybe it will help. And if not, there's nothing else you can do. And the Gemara says, Elisha, Elisha, dechafo legechazi bishnei adayim. Elisha was too tough with Gehazi. He pushed him away, and he ended up, he went completely off the way. Yoshua ben Farchia, he was very, very tough with J.C. Penny. He was a student, J.C. And uh, J.C. told him, Rabbi, look what beautiful girls out there. And the rabbi told him, you're not ashamed of yourself. You're learning in my yeshiva. You are telling me to look at the beautiful girls. You don't come anymore to the yeshiva. I threw him out. And then eventually he came to ask for forgiveness. The rabbi was busy in Kriyat Shema. He, he got angry. Why? Why is not inviting me in? And the rest is history. Hundreds of millions of Jews died because of this. Another Holocaust and another pogrom. And the Jews killed, killed JC. And the Jews are controlling the world. The Jews the source of all problems. If you kill the Jews, the world will be great. You hear about it non-stop everywhere you go. This is one of the reasons. Of course, I always tell people, if you think that by trying to surrender and be nice to the goyim, they would leave you alone, you don't understand that Hashem is using them to give us what we deserve. All the problems that we have with them, if we were innocent 100%, do you think they could touch us with a finger? you think an Arab could throw a stone and kill a Jew in a car? Do you think something like this can happen? Of course not. Why we have so many tragedies weekly, monthly, all the time, rockets? 
to wake up the people to do tshuva. How long the situation is going to be? 20% keeping mitzvot, 80% worse than goyim in their behaving. Beaches, driving on Shabbat, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur standing online by the video place to rent a movie, a dirty movie, on a day of repentance to sit, eating, and, and watching. And then they ask, why Hashem is doing it to us? Why there's thousands of rockets falling on Israel? Why sirens everywhere? Why we have to live with fear? If this, Hashem is trying to wake you up, it's like giving you a smack, wake up, son, wake up. Wake up, you're sleeping. If this doesn't help, nothing will help. What do you want? You want to become a millionaire? Of course you forget Hashem. Now when he gives you some smacks here and there, nobody wake up almost. What do you expect? People think that they don't understand that a father who loves his children, he wants to shake them up from time to time. Wake up, review your life, make tshuva. I made a survey in my Facebook page. From 54,000 people who are on the page, only about a thousand answer, which already it's very, very sad that, uh, what is it, 2% of the people answer and 98% don't even bother to answer the, it takes a second to answer. You check, yes or no, that's all. The question was, in this Yom Kippur, are you going to fast and make tshuva or are you going to ignore it and do nothing? So 92% of the people, this is almost everyone in Israel, Almost everyone in Israel answered, Baruch Hashem, on my page, after watching so many lectures for months, so already they're becoming more religious. So 92% of the people answer that they're going to make tshuva and fast. Serious tshuva and fast. 8% say nothing. My heart is on the 8%. I'm very happy for the 92%. My heart is 8%. 8%, that's, if you take... 80% uh, of Israel, which is about five and a half million secular Jews, right? Even you take 8% from them, let's say the rest will fast. Whatever, you know how they fast. They take more, a bicycle, they turn the lights on, they watch television, they just maybe not eating. They're sleeping all day. They don't come to shul, most of them. They don't, they don't even know how shul looks. They know what talit is. You have no idea how, I mean, you think Israel, everyone knows. You take most Israeli, you tell them, here, tefillin, put it on. One out of a hundred will know how to put tefillin. Last time he put tefillin was 30 years ago in his bar mitzvah. He has no idea how to put it on. Don't be surprised if he put it on his leg. He won't know, you know, he doesn't, you have to understand the situation right now. And it's mainly our fault. We could have changed the situation a lot more. We're changing, not a lot, we're changing two or three percent. We could have changed at least half of them. Why? Because most of them has good heart. Some of them really have merciful heart, they have respect. All you have to do is to become their friends and then they listen to you. Why? If you have a good friend, you like him, you listen to his advice. Even if he gives you foolish advice, needless to say, if he show you the beauty of the Torah, it will attract you very much. But if you come aggressively against him, right away you attack him, you this, you that, don't, and then right away, he goes in offensive. He blocks his ears. He doesn't want to hear from you anymore. And he doesn't want to hear anything. You, whatever you're going to tell him, no, no, I don't want to hear you. No, no, you, you're rude to me. You're this. you got to show them love. You have to invite them. You have to try again. You have to give them CD. You have to help them out. You have to help him out. You have problems. You help him out. 
even if you're not in a mood to help him out, even what he's worried about is nonsense, you help him out, it's worth it for you. In the end, you save him. It was already worth it for you to suffer seven years just for this person, to make him religious. The Gemara continue, the person should never bring himself into a test. Don't be a hero. Hashem, test me. How come my life is too easy? I don't have tests. I'm learning Torah all day. I feel very strong. I don't have desire to eat not kosher. I don't see any women because all day I'm learning Mara. So where is my test? Be a little bit, give me more reward. Give me more test. You want to be like this? You ended up losing everything. Who did this? King David. He said, why everyone say Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov, and they don't say Elohei David? Why they say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? What about me? I give my life for you. Ruach HaKodesh, Holy. No. So he said to him, because they passed tests, you didn't pass tests. You're righteous, but I didn't really test you. Abraham, I gave him 10 tests, very hard tests. He passed each one of them. So he said to him, Ribbono Shalom, so what's the problem? Test me. Here I am. Test me. Right after he said, test him, test me, he see Batsheva on the roof. Beautiful woman. Oh, who is this woman? <laughs> then the Gemara say, he didn't know. It's very interesting. The Gemara say, there is one organ in the body of a person. The more you feed him, the more hungry you become. The more you starve him, the more full you become. And everybody understands what the Gemara means. The more you after women, the more addicted to you are. Just you finish, I know some of these people, they go to the nightclub like wolves. They try to, you know how the wolf comes where the chickens are? They're hiding by the fence. As soon as the chicken comes, nobody sees. He makes a hole under the fence. He doesn't know which one to attack. He didn't finish with this one, he jumped on the other one. How much you want to eat? It's like these people, they go, the saliva is dripping from their mouth, you know, like, like animals. Wow, another woman, another woman. Give me your telephone number, give me. The next day, forget who we call. Who, who did I call yesterday? This one, this one. By mistake, I won't date the same one. All his life, worse than an animal, worse than a dog. Even the dog doesn't behave like The monkey in a safari is not like this. And then he said, ah, it's a dick. I give $50 a month to the shul, Rabbi. I give, yeah. You know, how much you waste on drinks to all these goyot in the nightclubs? How much? Thousands. Fifty dollars I give the rabbi. The rabbi of Chabad come, he give me tefillin, I put tefillin, I give him fifty dollars. I'm not tzaddik. This is how they talk. So, David HaMelech saw Batsheva. You want to marry her, not to take her to the club. We are talking different generations. This is three thousand years ago. You don't need me to tell you that King David is one of the most righteous people ever lived. Every guy knows it. Chinese knows it. Christian Chinese, retailing, what do you think? In English or in Chinese, but they retailing. You understand? If you are not tzaddik, you don't become the foundation of all Jewish prayers. 90% of what we say in our prayers, even on Yom Kippur, come from the mouth of David HaMelech. Almost everything, all the Mizmorim, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, almost everything, Teilim, all the Shachrit every morning, 80% is Teilim. Ah, 
הללויה, 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 אשרי יושבי ביתך, ויברך דוד, דוד בלסט השם. Almost everything דוד, מה? Right after we finish the 18, after, also David again. It's ממש like this. So, right after that, he saw Batsheva, and the rest is history. Okay, now the Gemara continue. After the, the case with Batsheva, the Gemara say, someone who thinks that David Amelch made a sin is wrong. Because you know the story. Uriah went to the war. He, he rebelled against the king. Someone who rebelled against the king has to be executed in the court of law. He didn't want to kill him because then he, he wants to take Batsheva. What's the people going to say? Oh, he killed her husband and took his wife? What kind of king is this? So he sent him to the war. He knew he's a sinner. He knew he's going to die in a war. He, could, he should have killed him. Not to think what people say. But he didn't want to look bad that after I killed her husband in a court, now imagine the judge. The judge said, this person, electric chair. And a week later, they show in the newspaper that he went and married his wife. He can be, continue to be a judge. Everyone will object. Every lawyer will come to the, say, appeal, appeal. This judge is a crook. Wow. He killed him, and he went and took his wife. This is all a conspiracy. So he had a point. The point, in the end, what happened? Uriah went to a war. When they go to a war, they put a get, because they don't, they don't know. Maybe they, they be missing forever. You don't know where your husband disappeared. 20 years. What's going to happen? So in the end, he took her when she was perfectly permitted. She's single again. She's divorced. And she was his shiduch anyway, to begin with. And what happened in the end? People started to insult him. They say to him like this. Amar David lifna kadosh baruchu, David say to Hashem, Ribono shalolam, you know that if they would rip my flesh to pieces and all my blood, all the blood that should drip wouldn't even drip out. And not only that, all these people come to me and say to me, tell me, King David, Kvod Arav, Kvod Arav, I have a question to ask you. Someone who go with a married woman, what is his punishment from the Torah? Does he really want to know? He wants to take a knife and, and stab it in his heart and twist it for an hour to feel great. Ah, I'm torturing a person, right? So he says to him, someone who goes with a married wife, he died in the Jewish court by choking. Chenek. Chenek. There are four executions. This is the least out of everyone. Stoning is the worst, then burning, then sword, then chenek. Chenek, most of the execution is choking. Most of them, which is the easiest kind of death. It's a matter of 20, 30 seconds, and the person is dead. Unlike stoning, which is a whole ceremony, it's horrible, it may take much longer, it's much more painful, it's much more embarrassing, it's in public, they throw him from the cliff and the rocks, horrible death or burning, horrible, even to think about it, you get goosebumps all over your body. Choking, it's very, it's very bad, but it's a matter of half a minute and it's over. So he said to them, someone who go with a married woman, he died by execution. But, and, but after he died, he still did not lose his share to the world to come. If he made tshuva, now when they kill him, say, God, forgive me, I went with a married woman, forgive me. You know, I'm going to die now for it. I accept it. I deserve it. 
and he regrets, and Hashem see him a tshuva, he never repeat the sin again. So, when they kill him, he has a share to the world to come. But someone who insults another person in public has no share to the world to come. So his answer to them is, you coming to ask me about someone who went with a married woman, you thinking that it's me, right? So you're insulting me. So if, if that was the case, what punishment I deserve? Choking. And what punishment you deserve for asking this question? The worst one, you lose your share to the world to come. Why? Because you embarrass a person in public and lo chelek lost his share to the world to come, Hashem Then there used to be a big tzaddik, his name is Nachum Gamzu. Why his name is Nachum Gamzu? Gamzu means also this. Gam, it's also. Zu, this. Why his name? Imagine somebody, what's your name? Moshe, also this. What's the, also this what? Gamzu letova. Everything happened to him, he say it's also for good. His house is burning, it's for good. Has Shalom, he lost his kid, it's for good. He lost all his money, for good. Everything for good. Everything Hashem does is good. Whether I understand it or not, it's irrelevant. This is his way. He's very, very righteous. One time he walks in the street, and the nation of Israel wanted to send a gift to the Caesar, the Romans are controlling the land, you know, so the Jews are under their control. And they say, who should we send to the Caesar? Which one of the Jews? They say, Nahum Ishgamzu every day has miracles. Hashem loves this person very much. Let's send him, if some, if some kind of problem would occur, he is gonna be safe because he's full of miracles. So, it's, so when he went there, he took a, he took a gift to the money to the Caesars, whatever it was. And then he was sleeping in a motel at night on the way and the robbers stole everything. There was a treasure in a box, they stole everything. When he came, and they put sand in style and said that the box will still be heavy. When he comes to the king, look what the Jews send you, your majesty. They open the king, the, the box. <laughs> what do they see? Sand. Sand, what an embarrassment. The king is going crazy. The king said, what is this sand? What is this sand? So one of the advisors, nobody would believe that a Jewish rabbi will have the nerve to come in front of the cruel king, the Caesar of Rome, the Caesar of, of, of Eretz Israel, of Israel, and bring him sand. For sure, cannot be. So one of them said, your majesty, it's probably the sand of Abraham. In their Torah, it said that Abraham threw the sand and became arrows. And that's how he was killing his enemies when he released law, the whole war. So he said, well, let's try it. And they threw it and it became sent just like Avraham Avinu, Nachum Ishgamzu. So he said to him, Nachum Ishgamzu, now you can use this sand when you go into a war. It's like our days, you have machine guns. You didn't have, imagine in the old days, everyone shoot one arrow every 10 minutes put an arrow, he makes it, until he makes it sharp with his knife, 20 minutes, then he shoots 50 feet away from the target. How many people, all of a sudden you have a machine gun, nobody saw it, so it's a very big advantage. So, what happened? The, 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 the thieves, they, you know, they, they, they saw the same thing, 
So <laughs> they wanted to do the same thing, but by them it didn't happen, right? And they all got killed. So we see that Nachum Gamzu, since he had such a confidence in Hashem, such level of confidence, even when he was supposed to get killed, Hashem changed the law of nature for one person. Mamash changed the law of nature. And the Gemara continued, the Gemara said, Dora Pelaga en laim chelek laolam haba. You know, and uh, they have no share to the world to come. We have uh, Dora Pelaga, it's the generation who made the Babylonian Tower. You know, today you have the United Nations instead. It's the same idea. So many people gather together against Hashem and his people, right? Every day, like I, if you saw on my Facebook page, I show no other country suffer from the UN more than Israel. Everything automatically against Israel, constantly. Syria, they murder thousands of people every week, killing their own civilians. Now they wanted to go to make sanctions against them. Russia, beautiful, righteous Russia. What's their name, Russia? In Hebrew is Russia, wicked. Russia. Russia and China. China come from Ham. What do you expect from them? Right? So China and Russia put a veto on it. Why? Don't do anything to Syria. Assad is righteous. Let him kill as many people as he wants. Israel will kill one Arab. One Arab. The whole world is rocking. They, Assad kill thousands of Arabs every week. Nobody cares. What do you see from here? That really nobody cares that they kill Arabs. It depends just who killed them. You get the point? If Gaddafi killed them, how long it took until they went into a war against him? Months. In Israel, it could happen such a thing that they kill thousands every week and nobody does anything, and only two months later they begin to talk. One, right away, one thing happened, wow, the whole world is shaking, CNN, nonstop, news, one after the other. Such hypocrisy, it's hard to understand. So, they want to make a tower and go and fight against Hashem. Sounds stupid. It's stupid to us, but it was completely not stupid in their time. Because remember, we have the knowledge, we know where Hashem is. This is before the Torah was given. They don't have the information we have. We have Torah, we have oral Torah, we have Mishnah, we have Gemara, we have Kabbalah today, it's published already. And those days, what did they know? Most of them believe in idols, in the sun, in the moon, or in all kinds of idols. And now they see that the Hebrews, they believe that there is one God, and he's in heaven, is everywhere, but his main palace is in heaven. So let's make a tower, we go there and fight against him. It's not our God, it's their God. It's our enemy's God. So let's, now you see, by looking at the sky, how do you know how far it is? Today we know it's very, very far. But how do you know? It looks blue. Maybe in one week we build such a big tower that we get there and we see something. Cannot see from here. I know it sounds silly today. But remember, there's no NASA. They didn't see videos. They have no idea. They say, okay, let's, let us go over there and we see what's there. So they made... A tower. And Hashem, instead of punishing them right away, what did he do? Only one thing. He confused them and they started to talk different languages. This is very interesting. Now you walk in the street, you speak Bukharian. Two minutes later, someone comes to you, begin to speak Arabic. What happened to you? Moshe, what, what are you saying? What do you mean? I don't understand you. Just two days ago, you were in high school together. <laughs> 
And now all of a sudden you talk to him two different languages. Hard to understand, but this is what the Torah says. So Hashem punished them in three different punishments, depend how wicked they were. Why Hashem mixed their languages? To show us that as long as they all united, then it's a fear even for the righteous people. When all the enemies are united, the righteous people are in very big danger. What do you mean? If they don't deserve to get hurt, who cares if they're united or not? No, no, no. Even the most despicable enemies, if they're all united with love and harmony and they die one for each other, we have a very serious problem. He used to be a very wicked king. His name is Ahav. The Gemara says in the generation of Ahav, he goes to the war and he always wins. One of the worst kings in history. Horrible king, Rasha Gadol, and his wife even worse than him. And what happened? He win all the wars. How can it be? There was unity. Everyone together, all the wicked people united. If all the Arabs will be loving each other, caring for each other, helping each other, really care one for each other, not what you see today, this kill this, she, he, Sunnites, this, they all kill each other nonstop. If they would be really united even for one week, we would be in a very, very serious problem. Why? Because their unity will help them a lot. We are lucky that we are paying for our sins, but we are lucky that our punishers, they don't have unity. And this is something that destroyed them from inside. Now, all the Arabs are optimistic. Democracy, the Middle East is changing. All the, all the leaders, the wicked leaders are losing power. First in Tunisia, now in, in, in Yemen, and now in, in Egypt, and now in, in Libya, and now soon by Syria, almost in Iran. Everything is falling, the regime are falling. The truth is, is the worst thing that can happen to the Arabs. Only a fool can think that democracy in Arab countries would work. A complete fool. Because if you know a little bit the Arab Muslim mentality, if you don't have one strong leader, they will kill each other nonstop because there's no human rights over there. Everyone would want to take control and they fight with violence and terrorism forever. Look in Egypt, months since Mubarak fell, they cannot make anything. They cannot make a government. Now, same thing in Libya. I think they're going to be able to get a leader. Democracy, Congress, like in the United States or in Europe or in Israel, that they made civilized votes. What votes? In the middle, they'll shoot each other if you don't vote like me. I give you an example. There is, a, you know, the Arabs, they don't let the women wear bikini on the beaches. They learn something from the Torah. They, they, they didn't come to the shiur when they read the Ten Commandments and say you should not kill. Some of these terrorists forgot to come that day to school. But when he spoke about modesty, they came to school. And they heard that it's very, it gets Hashem very angry. So what did they do? They put bombs in the sand in the beaches. And the women who goes there to some isolated beaches, they lose their legs. It explodes and that's it. They now have no legs for the rest of their life. This is what they do. So no Arab woman there to walk to the beach, even by herself. She want to go 6 o'clock in the morning. Nobody is there. She want to swim a little bit. She take off all this black cover. 
she wanna wear a bathing suit or she wanna get some tan or whatever. And then she walk a few steps on the beach, psh, explosion. And nobody cares. You think the police care? Nobody will investigate. Why? Very good. She deserve it. Everyone become a judge there. No court, no, <laughs> no human rights. In Libya, they found today 600 bodies in a hole. Two weeks ago, they found 1,250 bodies. Probably there are more than a million bodies buried in the ground that Gaddafi used to kill day after day, night after night, take the prisoners, 1,000, shoot all of them, put them in the middle of the night, tractors come, put them all in the ground, cover them. What do you think happens in Iran? People come, they don't do it massive. They don't want to attract attention because in Iran, the students, they're all against the, the government. But they take one after the other. You come home, they come, they take you, and the wife never see you. Nobody knows where you are. Nobody knows where you are. You, they never find any track. One day they come, they take you, and you finish. That's how they used to do to the Jews in Syria. Somebody that they think is pro-Israel, they just come, put a sack on his head, take him, and you never see him ever again. Never see him. Nobody knows where he is. Not his wife, not his brother, he just disappeared somewhere. No human rights, no judge, no Red Cross, nothing whatsoever. Whatever they don't, whoever they don't like disappeared. Same thing in China. Same thing in all these countries. And they are busy with Israel. Human rights, this, that, Supreme Court. Israel is bothering them. Why? Because Hashem is doing it. To wake us up. Don't you see Am Levada Dishkon, a nation that will be isolated, the Torah says, You have nothing to do with all these nations. You are my children and I want you isolated. In Egypt, I arranged from you, for you a place, Eretz Goshen. I didn't want you to live in Egypt, in San Francisco, in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in uh, whatever. I wanted you isolated. Once you move to Egypt, the slavery began. The land was full of Hebrews. Then they started to pay attention to them. Wow, how many Jews are here? Gotta get rid of them. Tomorrow it's gonna be war, they become our enemies. And that's how it started. Look, read in the Torah. As long as they were in Eretz Goshen, in their ghetto, nobody cared about them. Do or live over there by yourself. I don't see you, I can live with that. Ah, you want to live in my building? That's already too much. Up to here. More than this I can take. So Hashem punished each group separately. First group, the one who say, let's go up there and put our idols over there. And the other group say, let's go and fight against their God. And the other one say, let's go and just live there. We stay, we make ourselves a territory there that we should live there. So, Hashem spread them all over, spread them in the world with no communication. The one who say, let's go and fight against God, they became monkeys. That's what confused the scientists, that they think we came from the monkeys. The answer is no, the monkeys came from us, not from us, from these wicked people. And not only monkeys, some of them into demons and bad spirits. And the ones who say, let's go and worship an idol over there, our idols, our stars, Hashem confused their language and they missed their communication. The Gemara say, all of them had one thing in mind, to, to worship a, a foreign god, an idol. 
right? But the way they wanted to do it is different. What was the end of these huge towers? The tower that they built was much higher than the Empire State Building. And they didn't have the equipment that they have today to build. But it was a very big tower. Many thousands of them were working. So one third of the building was burning. One third was swallowed into the ground. And one third stayed. So each third of the building, different group built. The group that was working here, they were trying to make it as higher as possible. The middle and the, and the bottom third. Each third has different punishment. Three thirds of people, three thirds of different punishments to the building. The, in Storm, this is a long mara. I'm going to conclude it in one or two minutes. They did, in Salon Gamora, they had five cities of wicked people. Salon Gamora was the worst, but there were three more cities. And they decided to make laws Everything against mercy and against good heart and against human logic. Everything wicked laws. Everything wicked. For instance, if somebody hits you and you bleed, who has to pay who for the damage today? In every court you go, every logical court. Reuven hit Shimon and he's bleeding. He broke his bone. It costs $2,000 for the cast, for the doctor. He loses days of work. Every normal court, everywhere you go in the world, would make the, the Reuven pay Shimon, no? And Sodom and Gomorrah is the opposite. The one who got hurt has to pay the attacker. They're strange laws. They didn't want anyone to come live with them, so they made rules that nobody from the outside would want to come there. So one time, Eliezer Eved Avram, the servant of Abraham, walked there. <laughs> And he walked there, and somebody attacked him. Because when they see a stranger, they get angry. What are you doing in town? We are not interested in guests. So he started to heal him. So he's bleeding. He grabbed him to court. And this judge said, OK, give him 1,000 bucks. So why? He said, well, he made you bleed. You have to say thank you. Give him 1,000 bucks. So he took a stick. He hit the judge on his head. He said, the 1,000 that you owe me, give him. <laughs> you know? So this is, it sounds like a joke, but this is how it was. They torture people. They used to tie their hands and the legs and roll, roll, roll until the body ripped in apart. When they had somebody who come to sleep, the short people, they put them in a very long bed and stretch them. You have to feed the bed. When there was a, a long people, they put them in a very small bed and chop their legs off. If you wanted to cross the bridge, you have to pay a toll. So sometimes people want to save the toll. Like today, some people try to go and make a huge circle in Manhattan. Maybe they use the Queensboro Bridge to save six and a half dollars, right? So it's not a crime. You want to save money, why not? Imagine now somebody stand by the end of the bridge and say, oh, you have the nerve. You didn't go through the toll. Now you pay double. <laughs> That's what they do. So people used to go with their camel in, the, in a river under the bridge. There was a bridge above the river. And somebody goes with a camel. The camel is already choking, so he pick up his head. Don't drown now. Don't drown. So this Muhammad go with his, uh, with his, uh, with his camel. By the yes, other side of the river, the police of Saddam waiting. You have the nerve. You're crossing from the water. You don't want to leave us some taxes. Now you have to pay double. And this is how it was. So in Hebrew today, when someone rape a woman or molesting her, 
they use in the Israeli court, the judges that say it, I promise you, they don't know what they're talking about, but they call it Ma'aseh Sdom, an act of Sodom. Ask the judge in Tel Aviv that went to the university and he knows laws, tell me, your, your honor, what did you just say to the criminal? You convicted him and you sent him to prison for Ma'aseh Sdom. Ma'aseh Sdom is one level below rape. Rape called honest. Ma'aseh Sdom is a little bit less, which also is severe punishment. So the judge say, in Ma'aseh Sdom I found you guilty, Hashem. But he asked the judge, what's Ma'aseh Sdom? He doesn't know. What's Ma'aseh Sdom? An act of Sodom. That's how they used to do over there. And many other examples. For instance, if a guest come to the meal and they don't recognize him, they investigate right away who invited him. If they find who invited him, forget it. They put honey on his body and all the bees come. Very cool people. So one time Eliezer Eved Avram was hungry. He heard there's a party somewhere. So he came in. He thought, you know, like, like my master Abraham, everyone comes, eat for free. So he sits by the meal, he begins to eat. So some person tell him, tell me who invited you? He said, if you won't be quiet, I'm gonna scream that I'm your guest. <laughs> so right away he runs out. He said, oh, don't mess with this crazy one. If he open his mouth, they'll kill me here. Then the next person asks, the next person, he keeps telling him, if you don't be quiet, I'm gonna scream that you invited me. Slowly, slowly, everyone left, and he stayed alone to eat the whole meal. You understand? So this is, now you understand why these cities were destroyed with fire from heaven. Fire, like an atomic bomb, like Nagasaki and Hiroshima in, in our days. That's what they had, but this time you didn't need the airplane to dump it, the United States. Hashem dumped it on them, and all of them died. And who just got saved? Lot and his two daughters, three out of millions. You understand? So this is what happened. Then the Gemara continues still in Masechet Sanhedrin. Korach gathered 250 chief rabbis with him against Moshe. There was one Hasidic rabbi that remembered his reincarnations. There are people in the world, Jews and non-Jews today, that remember without hypnotizing them, without hypnosis. Most people can tell you their previous life if you hypnotize them. But there are people who remember, they are unconscious and they remember who they used to be in their previous life, which body their, their soul was. Some people can remember more than one life. This is very rare. So this Hasidic Rebbe, he said, I remember, I have a vision that who I used to be in a generation of Moses and Korach. So they told him, on which side you were, Moshe or Korach? He said, I went and hide. So they say, shame on you. You didn't back up Moses against these wicked people? How can it be? He said, if you see how Korach used to speak, what a charismatic, powerful speaker he was, he can hypnotize you with his speeches. Then you get very confused. Yeah, you know Hashem spoke to Moshe. You know Moshe is righteous, but here this person, smart, knows Torah, multi-millionaire, also from the tribe of Levi, 250 rabbis are backing him up. It's confusing. So I went and hide. I didn't know what to do. 
So it says like this, Vayakumu lifne Moshe, 250. Then they know the laws of renewing the sun, the moon, leap years. People are famous all over the world. It's not just ordinary people here. Moshe heard and he fell. You know how the Ashkenazim, when they pray, they put their head down and they put their hands and they put their face down? That's called Nefilat Apayim. The Zohar said that if a person does it, it's very dangerous as far as uh, it's all kinds of things. That's why Sfaradim don't do it, because they follow Kabbalah. But uh, it's a big thing. It's, not, it's very holy. It's a very holy prayer. So, so what happened here? Moshe Rabbeinu heard that, he fell down, his, his head is down. That's an expression that broken heart. What did he hear? That they speak about him, that he went with a married woman. Did you ever hear such a thing? Imagine today somebody comes and say the biggest rabbi in the world is a suspect that he went with a married woman. <laughs> it would be the end of us. Finished. What else? So far, we hear a lot of bad things happening all the time. But the leader of the world, that everybody 40, 50 years asking him what to do, what not to do, even him? Finished. Everyone will be depressed forever. There's no more, nobody to ask anymore. That's it. It's, it's over. Moshe Rabbeinu, that everybody heard him speaking to God, they begin to say that he's suspecting that he went with a married, married woman. You know, so Rav Ashi says, someone who participates in an argument, not for the sake of heaven, we're not talking righteous people come and try to stop the wicked people from doing a horrible thing. That's a different story here. A group of people wants to worship an idol and the righteous people come and fight with them and don't let them do it. That's called an argument for the sake of heaven. We are talking now honor, pride, money, position. That's not an argument for the sake of heaven. It's an argument for the sake of your stomach. How big it's gonna be from all the food you're gonna get and the money that they give you. Politicians, they really care about their land, about the country. Do you know how many politicians sell their own people for money? Do you know that all the things that the United States achieve in the world is by paying leaders to go with them? Some leaders go for it, some not. There are many rumors that the Prime Minister of Israel sold Gush Katif. He gave it to all the Arabs after the United States gave him a personal bribe of many millions of dollars. You know, that's rumors, but these rumors, some of them are true. It's not just somebody sit and make rumors. There's many rumors. There are many leaders, they tell him, listen, leave the country, we'll give you $50 million, don't create a war. Or the opposite, sometimes they pay them to create a war. Bin Laden, who trained him and made Al-Qaeda? United States. United States made him to go against Russia, and he turned around against them. Who brought Khomeini from Paris to Iran? They evicted the Iranian Shah, United States. Who brought the Palestinian Hamas and Yasser Arafat Shimam from Tunisia to Israel? Shimon Perez, Rabin, and the Americans together. Who gave Egypt two-thirds of Israel in order in, in, for no return? We get, got nothing from them, nothing whatsoever. There's one penny that we didn't get back from them. Gas, we paid them top dollars to buy from them. All the lands, all the buildings, everything that we build, all the farms, they took everything. Two-thirds of Israel went to Egypt, and there's not even a piece. Nothing. 
What did we get? Can, can somebody raise his hand and say what Egypt gave us for that piece? We're much stronger than them military-wise. So we wanted to make peace with you. The strong one against the weak one after we destroyed them in a war. One war after the other. And you finally come to make peace with the American assistant. Who should give more, the weak to the, to the strong or the strong to the weak? The, strong, the, the weak should beg the strong to make peace. Don't kill me, I can't take this anymore. Please relax, relax, here, I'll pay you, I'll give you a gift, here, take this, just don't kill me anymore. In reality, it was the opposite. Israel gave them two-thirds of the land in order to receive nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Can anyone show me what, what we got from them for that piece? Nothing. They continue to smuggle bombs and missiles to Gaza through Egypt. They make tunnels one after the other. They pretend they don't see. Wow, wow. And now they're threatening us with war. They always spoke against us in the United Nations. In Egypt, they always hated us. Few times Israeli went there for, to Cairo to see the pyramids. They shot at them. They blew up the bus. There's no, there was never really a peace. So what was the whole thing for? What was the whole thing giving them so much, taking all the people out of their homes, and you got nothing in return? Same thing, Palestinians. Anyone can show what they gave us? Since we started to give them one gift after the other, destroyed our own people, our situation today is the worst it's ever been. It constantly got worse and worse and worse when they promised to stop killing us, and they're killing us much more. Same thing now Syria, all these full liberal Jews in Israel, give them the Golan Heights. <laughs> For what? What? For what? That tomorrow is going to be a war with the Hezbollah and they join a war? They, they can keep agreements, these people? You make agreement with one Muhammad, tomorrow Ahmed kill him, he takes control and he rip all the papers. Look what happened now in Egypt. All the agreements with the United Nations, with America, all became toilet paper overnight. Turkey, we gave them weapons, advanced electronic, all kinds of things. We make their planes the best in the world, just almost like ours. In one second, they use everything we gave them against us, became our biggest enemy. Hashem said to us in the Torah, don't try to surrender and make peace with any one of these wicked nations. It will never last. Just trust me and make peace with me, and I will defeat all of them for you. We have five more minutes, so let me just finish this Gemara. So the Gemara says, someone who has an argument not for the sake of heaven, for his own personal honor, what's going to be the price? Besides that is a sin from the Torah, he deserves to get leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease. Leprosy means you've been isolated. They, they send you out of the place, and you have to be a week out there, and then they shave your hair. A lot of embarrassment. Why? Because you instigate between people. Now they isolate you also. Someone who disrespects the kingdom of David deserves to be beaten by a poisonous snake. He speaks against the Mashiach and the descendants of King David. Amar Someone who argue with his rabbi publicly, not for the sake of heaven. If it's for the sake of heaven, in a respectable way, rabbi, you say that this is the halacha, and I saw over here that this is the halacha. Can you clarify for me in a respectable way between you and him, not publicly, not to embarrass him? It's fine. That's the way of the Torah. Everybody ask everyone. 
you know, nobody has to, to agree just because he has a nice beard and he knows more Torah than you. You're entitled to ask questions. But someone who does it disrespectfully, it's like disrespecting Hashem. Oh, yeah, you speak against your rabbi or someone who taught you Torah. It's like disagreeing with what Hashem said to us in Mount Sinai. Someone who fights with his rabbi, we are talking that is kosher. Not that he turns and he found that he's a big crook. And he molesting the people and robbing their money and cheating and lying and doing all kinds of bad things. In case like this, it's not a rabbi. The Gemara in Chulin says, People like this, that everyone thinks they're righteous, but you know for sure they're wicked. You have to expose them and, and warn the public from them. Why? Because tomorrow when they get cancer, or when they die in an accident, or someone stick a knife or kill them, or anything like this, or they die the next, in an accident, everyone's going to say, where is Hashem? There's no Hashem, chas v'shalom. Where is the justice? Look what happened to this holy rabbi. Where? Why? I'm religious for nothing. There's no justice. I don't see justice. You could have prevented this Chilul Hashem. If you expose him before he got killed, then nobody is surprised that he got killed. The opposite. This is the justice of Hashem. Because you didn't expose him, now everyone speak against Hashem. All the foolish people who don't understand anyway nothing, as soon as something that they don't understand, they begin to talk. Since I became religious, I only suffer. I had a business, it's not doing so good. I had this, you owe Hashem billions of punishments. He gave you one or two punishments, you begin to complain. 30, 40 years, you rebel against him every second. He fed you, he gave you everything you have. Now you finally lost a thousand dollars. You sit and cry and speak against Hashem. What is this? This is the way that people are. But the righteous people, you never hear one complain from their mouth from the day they become mature, 13, until the day they die. 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Not one complain. What's going on, Moshe? Baruch Hashem, Ishtabach Shemo. But I heard you doing very bad. Why bad? Very bad. Whatever Hashem does is for good. This is the difference between righteous and wicked people. Wicked people, the more they get, the more they complain. How are you, Moshe? Oh, I only made a million dollars this month. Business is very slow. What do you mean? I wish I make half of it. What do you mean? Last year I made three. Business went down, only a million dollars. I can't give donation this. Rabbi, I'm sorry. This man, no donations. Business is very slow. Pray, pray for me. He made a million dollars instead of two million. Business is very bad, Rabbi. No, no, only give a thousand dollars for CDs. No, wow, Rabbi, a thousand dollars? When I made good business, I used to give you. Okay, I'll send you 300. Now, it's a conversation between the Rabbi and this guy. But what he doesn't know is that one day they'll meet again. But this time, all the secrets will come up. The whole video will return. But now the rabbi will know that just as he was crying, business is very bad, that day he made $30,000 cash. And he asked him for 1000 he was crying, business is bad, I'm not doing, it's not what it was, pray for me, here is my name, my mother name, make a bracha for me, rabbi, make a bracha for me. <laughs> he can buy 500 shoes in one check. Well, that's what's going on today. People are worried. 
He's already 75 years old. He worry, maybe, maybe he would live until 750 years old and the money would run out. You know, he's worry. Ay, 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 ay. So someone who make a fight is like fighting with Hashem, with his rabbi. Someone who speak arrogantly against his rabbi. It's like speaking like this against Hashem. Someone who complain against his rabbi or suspect him with no reason, no solid reason, no reasons. Well, where, where, where was he? I don't know. Why he came to the davening instead of 7 o'clock? He came 7.30. He doesn't know. He already imagined. Who knows what he did, this rabbi? Lazy, doesn't get up. He gives us speeches about being, uh, you know, hardworking Jews. He show up half an hour late. How do you know? Maybe he suffers from his stomach every morning. Maybe he has a sickness. Maybe he's learning until 4 o'clock in the morning with someone who doesn't know how to learn. How do you know? What do you know? Right away, judge. Moshe and Aaron say to them, you're not complaining against us. Open your eyes. You're complaining against the one who sent us. You're complaining against Hashem. What does the Torah say? They come to fight against Moshe, and the Torah describes it. They came to fight against God and Moshe. But they didn't come against God. They came against Moshe. Why you took us out of Egypt? I took you out of Egypt. I decide what to do. I read to you now from the Gemara, from the Torah. This rabbi is fanatic. Don't, don't go to his lecture. Believe me, you don't want to hear it. He's going to scare you. But he reads from the Torah. It's much easier to blame the rabbi than, than to blame Hashem. What is he going to say? Don't, don't go. Don't listen to the Torah of Hashem. No, Hashem is fanatic. He's going to drive you crazy. He's embarrassed to talk like this. So the rabbi is like, it's, very, it's like a postman. He brings you a letter. Your enemy sends you a lawsuit. What's easier? You ever saw anyone who blamed the postman? Hey, come you, I'll break your head. Why? Why? What do you want from me? Why are you giving me this letter? He'll, he'll unleash his dog. Kill him. <laughs> I, I'm only working for the postman. I, I make $24,000 a year all day. I sweat in this lousy car. What do you want? You brought me this letter, you'll die. You don't see this. But when you come to a lecture and somebody reads something from the Gemara, you don't like it, the next day you tell everyone in town, don't go to these lectures anymore. It's too strict. Why? You faker. You loser. You liar that lie to yourself. You live in a lie. Every second of your life is a lie. It's much easier to blame somebody else for all your problems than to take responsibility and say, I'm a loser. And I did not correct my evil way yet. He's right. Why don't you come to the lecture? I can't hear the truth. It kills me. Oh, at least you're honest. What's better? Why don't you go to the lectures anymore? How many times I can hear what a sinner I am? It kills me every time I hear it. I can't take this anymore. The rabbi said the truth, the Torah, and I'm not listening. Better not listen anymore. It kills me. Oh, at least he's honest. But there's the other kind of people. Why don't you go to the lecture? Ah, it's too much for me. It's scary. It's reading things. It's making it up. Much easier. Feel much greater. The Gemara says, I'm almost finishing the page. The Gemara says, Osher shamur lebealav lerato. 
Many wealthy people, their killer is their wealth. Almost everyone. Once in a blue moon you find a wealthy person who knows how to invest his money cleverly, with wisdom, with vision, in the right place. Most people, as soon as they become wealthy and they begin to buy everything they see, their desire is growing, their life is right after, one day after the other is becoming worse and worse. The children, drugs, problem, divorce, you buy them houses, you give them fancy cars, you do all kinds of things. Six months later, after you paid a million dollars for the wedding, almost all of them get divorced. And nobody asks, why? Why all the wealthy people who pay fortune for this fancy schmancy wedding, almost all of them ended up in horrible divorce right after? Why? There's a direct connection. You are a Mr. Show-off, Hashem cannot stand you. I didn't give you the money to be a show-off. I didn't give you the money to bring three orchestras to the wedding and pay them $50,000 each, that everyone in a shul will say, what a generous father you are. Or that in your wedding there was the best, I don't know how you call it, all these $10 a piece. The cookies, the special, ah, this is a special thing. It, it looks like a duck. Who cares how the cookie look? You take, you put it in your mouth. Five hours he worked to make it like a beak. Ah, Rabbi, look. Two hours he makes the watermelon like a basket. All this fake life. So much you pay instead of take the money and give to the Torah to save souls. <laughs> ay, 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 jewelry, this, $500 flowers, $700 flowers to his wife for Shabbat. Rabbi, mitzvah, shalom bayit. Saturday night, he goes with his girlfriend to Atlantic City, the casino. $700, he brings his wife, beautiful, for Shabbat. Motsi Shabbat takes his yarmulke, baseball hat, sits in, he's in Porsche. Where are you going? Business trip. People coming out of town to meet me. Ah, I'll be back on Monday. And he goes with his prostitute to Atlantic City, and then he comes back. What a great father, what a great husband. That's what they, and then 10, 20 years later, when you hear that he has chas v'shalom, all these sicknesses, everyone asks, how come, how come this guy, he helps everyone in a community, what really happened to him? If you only knew 1% of the stories I see and, and hear every day, I can write a, a book, that will be the best seller. Will be probably the best seller in history. How much juice, how people would rip their hair off. But it's not permitted. You can write with fake names, but sometimes people would understand who you're talking about. You gotta be very careful. But this is the situation right now. So, Osher Shamur Lebaalav Lerator. You know how all these people borrow $100,000 to make a beautiful Bukharian wedding? And then they pay it 10 years? They walk, they kill themselves driving the cab from morning to night to pay for the two-hour show-off. 10 years he pays, sometimes with interest. Why? For two-hour show-off. And the Ainara, the evil eye of all the, all the people, the guests of the wedding that they met to his daughter or to her, or her husband, so bad that probably that's what brought the divorce on them and all the other problems that they have later on. So not only the show-off destroyed his pocket, destroyed his, his daughter's life. And they don't see direct connection. Why? Because they never read the Torah and the Halakha. 
אמר איש לקיס זה אושרו של קורח, we see קורח, קורח, if he wasn't wealthy, he didn't have so much confidence to go and rebel against משה that he heard Hashem speaking to him. He heard Hashem speaking to משה and he comes and rebel against משה. The world, in Hebrew, until today, the secular Jews, they say, but they don't know what they say. Oh, this guy, Ashir Kakorach. They don't know what they say, I promise you. Ashir means wealthy, Kekorach, like Korach. They think it's an expression, but they don't know it comes from here. Ashir, wealthy like Korach, the richest guy. Haman was also a multi-billionaire. Saddam Hussein was also a multi-billionaire. Arafat also. Gaddafi also, Hitler also. All the people who suffer the most in Olam Abba, they, they drown in the money. They drown. They don't, they don't know where they have. They forget. I know a guy, he used to own an insurance agency when he was secular. And then he started to become a little bit more spiritual. And then his business went down. <laughs> so he used to come to my lectures in Queens Boulevard. That's where I'm going now. I'm talking to you more than 10 years ago. One day he told me a story. You never heard such a thing. He said, you know what happened to me? After I went bankrupt, I had to escape Israel. I owe money to people. But before I escaped, maybe by the year I was struggling, trying to pay back for whatever I can to get people off my back. After one year, I had an Arab mechanic that used to take over my cars. I had many cars in the agency. I own all the cars. So I get a phone call after a year. Hey, Erez, tell me, why do I look to you, a free parking lot? So I say to him, Muhammad, what happened? He said to him, what, you don't want to come take your car? <laughs> so I say to him, what car? Your Audi. Your Audi is here already one year, parking in my parking. Why you don't come to take your car? <laughs> He said, I forgot that I had another car. <laughs> he said, I had eight cars, seven, eight cars. This car I forgot about. This how wealthy I was. I had so much money. I didn't know what I have, what I don't have. So when I went bankrupt from all the stress, they took away all my cars. And this car stayed by him. I forgot about it. It was in a garage for a week when it all happened. And from all the mess, I forgot that I, I have this car. <laughs> he said, 20 minutes, I went there, I got the car. That day, I sold it for $20,000. I paid bills. I got a few more people of my head who were harassing me. This is how, today you should see what a tzaddik this guy is. Mary a tzaddiket here, they have kids, Baruch Hashem. Another family got saved. Amar Rabbi Elazar, the money of the person supposed to put him standing still on his feet. Financial support, that's what everyone is searching for. But make sure it will not become the trap that will destroy you, God forbid, for eternity. There, a, a little boy, when is he considered when he's born that he came to the world? From what moment that the, the, woman, the wife conceived? From the minute he's born, from the minute you circumcise him, from the minute he become bar mitzvah, when is he officially a living creature that lives here full life? The Gemara says, in the moment that he's born, and another opinion from the moment he started to talk his first words, then he considered that he became a full human being. The Gemara, there's one more opinion, there's a big argument. From the time she Nizra, when the woman conceived, 
Another opinion, fourth opinion, from the moment he was circumcised. Fifth opinion, from the first amen he said. First time the little boy, usually when they're three years old, say bracha, say amen, oh, after once, all of a sudden he say amen, oh, baruch Hashem. The answer is, all of them right. It's not five different, it's not, not an argument here. Every step in the life of a person, another part of his soul enter. Friend, when the woman conceived. Then when he's born, when they, when they name him in a Brit Milah, another part of the Neshama go based on the name. Then when he, you know, when he begins to say the first words, you know, speak few words. And then when he say the first Amen. So every this spiritual level of the person is getting higher and higher. You know, it reminds me about the father who was trying to teach his son one sentence. Torah tzivalanu Moshe. That's the first thing you tell your children. Hashem ordered his Torah to us, to Moshe, through, you know, with Hashem. So it, one week, hey, say, repeat after me. Repeat after Abba, Torah. The boy is mute. Torah tzivalanu Moshe. Now say something already. Pah! Get up already. The boy, ah, he cries, scream. The wife get angry. What are you eating him? You crazy? Two weeks, the boy doesn't say a word. Then he takes him to the street. You know, he's four years old, whatever. He's worried. My son is already four years old. He doesn't say one word. I hope he's not uh, esotism or something. Then here, the watermelon guy in Israel until today, even though it's a very advanced country, they still have these people with a horse and a carriage and a pile of watermelons. And he screamed, everyone, very sweet, special prices. And people come like rats from all over the building. Give me two, give me three. That's how it works. It makes a living. All of a sudden, the kid here, the guy scream, Avatiach, watermelon alasakin, watermelon freshly cut. I open it for you. That's how I'm sure that it's good. Don't buy it like this and find out it's rotten. I open it for you. Good, you buy. Not good, you don't buy. I like to show, oh, my merchandise is the best. All of a sudden, this kid starting to scream, Avatiach, alasakin. He said to him, you little moron, two weeks I'm trying to teach you one sentence. You don't say a beep. I almost get divorced because of you. Now, all of a sudden, one time he scream, Avatiach, alasakin. You repeat? What happened? So he went to the rabbi, the next day, rabbi, I'm very concerned. All two weeks I'm trying, all of a sudden this guy scream one thing, he say, up. So the rabbi said, let me explain to you. We have a rule. You know what the rule is? Words that are coming not from the mouth, from the lips outside. They don't have life, these words. Words that come from a broken heart enter sharply, express directly into the listener heart. That he begins to cry and hug you, I'm sorry, you're right. How come? Why is it? We say to him like this, when you say to him, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, you're already thinking, no, say it that I can go sleep already. I'm losing too much time with you. No, no, here, get up, get up. He hits him on the head. Maybe something will move in his brain. <laughs> the boy doesn't say anything. So it doesn't come out of the heart. So but the watermelon guy, 
You see how he screamed, tomorrow he has the mortgage bill to pay and he doesn't have the money. What do you think? If he had money, he would have a store. He goes with the lousy horse from the generation of Antiochus. He goes with his horse. You should see the horses that they use. It's 700 years old. You know, from the time of, uh, of uh, King David. So now he screams, Abatiach! He's thinking, I have to sell a thousand watermelon this week. If not, my kids will not have what to eat. So he screamed from his heart. That's why he enter your son's heart right away. That's like the Iraqi rabbi in the time of Ben Ishchai. A hundred years ago, he was walking on shul, to, to shul on Shabbat. And here, in the back, back of one of the houses, the Iraqi Jews playing backgammon on Shabbat. Gambling on money on Shabbat a hundred years ago in Baghdad, the city of all the big Kabbalists. Smoke came out of his ears. He broke into the backyard. Wow. They look at him. Rabbi, please, please, don't get upset. Forgive us. Here, here, take all the money to your yeshiva. <laughs> <laughs> take all the money. Rabbi, please don't tell anyone. We sin. Chatanu, Avinu, we forget. Next Shabbat, we, we're going to be the first one in shul. So the rabbi said, okay, since you made tshuva, no problem, you make repentance, I forgive you, I hope Hashem forgive you. Motzei Shabbat, he came, they gave him the money for the yeshiva, Baruch Hashem. Then, every Shabbat, they already come, before they come to shul, they're already there like they promised. So, ooh, Shtabach Shimon, I was passing by in the right time. Then, after a few weeks, Slowly, slowly, they disappeared again. Where are all these guys again? Probably they went back to their bad way. Let me pass again through the house. He passed through the house, here again, 500, 200. He breaks in, again, you crooks, you wicked people, bang on the table. They got up. Who told you to tell us what to do? The one guy picked up the chair, boom, break on his back. One guy pulled him from the beard. They give him smack, he runs, no, no, boom, they kick him, his hat is flying in the street, you know? So now he's all beaten up. He's so insulted, wow, they killed me, did they beat me up? Wow, two months ago, he kissed my hand, forgive us, take the money. <laughs> he, so he comes to the Ben Ishchai. He said, Rabbi, what happened? Tell me, what's going on here? Say, the first time you didn't plan to make money. You wanted to go to shul and you heard Jews making a scene, it burns your heart. So you went, to, you went in and stopped it. You didn't know they're gonna offer you money, they give you money, they, you went to do, the, to do what Hashem wants you to do, for the mitzvah. Hashem helped you, it was for the sake of heaven. Second time, First thing came to your mind, I wonder how much money they have on the table. Right, they're going to give me now again the money. Ah, money? <laughs> That's what happened. You went in thinking how much they're going to pay me tonight. They gave you what you deserved. <laughs> you understand? This is, it. this is us. You come for the mitzvah. If they give you money, fine. If not, whether you're Moel, whether you're a speaker, whether you, whatever you do, you, they ask you to read in the Torah. You say, how much you charge? I don't charge. You want to help my causes? I, I will be great, very grateful. You pay, well, very good. You don't pay, Baruch Hashem, Hashem will pay. Hashem has a lot of good messengers. It's not you, it's him. It's not him, it's him. 
In the end, what you deserve to get, you get. Bezrat Hashem, I wish everyone gmar chatima tova. If you still want to join me on uh, Shabbat in Englewood, we have the fifth year already in Minyan in Yom Kippur. Great, a lot of people come from here. And we do a great Yom Kippur with great tshuva and lots of divrei Torah. If you want to let me know, if you want, it's already a lot of people coming, Baruch Hashem, but I believe there's still more room. So we have another uh, day and a half. Let me know. It's, it's, uh, we're staying there. We're eating there after the fast. The entire thing in one big house. Thank you very much. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.